Great, good morning. Please keep your Bibles open and let's pray. Heavenly Father, what joy it is to know you. We are so thankful and so grateful that we can know you, that we know you because the Lord Jesus has revealed you to us. We thank you that we can not just know about you, but we can know you personally and intimately because of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. Lord, as we read and study and hear your word preached this morning, come meet with us by your Holy Spirit. Come show us something deeper and greater of what it means to have you live within us, to know you better. Help me, Lord, in my weakness to be able to proclaim great truths. And may you be glorified in all we do this morning. Amen. I wonder what it's like to be part of the f- a famous person's family. To be a part of a celebrity family. I wonder what that's like. Celebrities enjoy fame and fortune, privilege, honor, opportunities, popularity. Can you imagine what it's like to be part of a family of a famous person? Imagine going into school and the register is taken and you hear the name Brooklyn Beckham. Oh, Brooklyn Beckham. That means you're the son of David and Victoria Beckham. Wow. Imagine you go for a job interview and you introduce yourself as Patrick Schwarzenegger. Okay, there can't be many of them around. Are you the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Do you really need a job? Surely your father has enough money for you already. Or perhaps you go to a restaurant and you book a table under the name of Samantha Cameron. The waitress's demeanor changes and says, Oh, Mrs. Cameron, welcome. Come, let me show you to our best table of the restaurant. Anything you need, it's our pleasure to provide. I wonder what it's like to, be, to know someone intimately that has worldwide fame, to be loved by them, to be provided for by them. And because of just who you are, have opportunities and privileges given to you. Now, I'm convinced it has its downsides, but there are some wonderful advantages. Hold that in your mind. And let's remember the context of where we are in John's Gospel. Jesus' hour has has come. He's about to go to the cross. We know it's at the cross that Jesus prays for sin to enable us to have a relationship with the Father. The disciples don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't know why he's leaving, and they're troubled. They're confused. They're afraid. They've just been told that one of them is going to betray him. Peter's been told he's going to deny Jesus. They've been told that they're going to be sent out to go and love one another, to do the works that Jesus has been doing. But they're weak and powerless within themselves to do it. They've had the wonderful privilege of having Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking with them, talking with them, teaching them and helping them. But now he's going. And they're afraid. In our passage this morning, Jesus knows their fear and their trouble, and so he's encouraging them, and he's encouraging us 
by telling us that something greater is coming. The coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit will mean that the presence of Jesus will continue in their lives. The coming of the Holy Spirit will mean that there is a deeper relationship with Jesus and with the Father. The coming of the Holy Spirit means that everything that Jesus has said will make sense and will come clear and will be reminded to them as they live for him. And the coming of the Holy Spirit will mean that they will have real, true, lasting peace. It probably is amazing to be a member of a famous celebrity's family. But I hope that we'll be encouraged this morning to know that being a member of God's family is even greater. Let's look at those privileges together. Firstly, the Holy Spirit continues the presence of Jesus in our lives. What an experience it must have been to be a disciple, to have seen Jesus, to have been with Jesus, to have heard his teachings, to have lived with him and walked with him, to have been called a friend by him. Jesus had radically changed the lives of these 12 disciples with his physical presence there. He's taught them, he's revealed himself to them, and now he's leaving and going away. But Jesus says, actually, yes, I'm going away physically, but yet I will still come to you. I will still be around. Read with me from verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is going to the Father and he's going to send someone to help and to be with them forever. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. How? Well, it's by this other advocate. An advocate is one who comes alongside you to help you, to strengthen you. Imagine a legal counselor, one who stands with you in court to make a defense with you as you go. So that is what the Holy Spirit will do. But notice that Jesus says he'll send another advocate. That means that they already have an advocate in Jesus. It's Jesus who has been their advocate for three years who's been there with them and walk with them and talk with them and help them. But now another, just like Jesus, is coming. The spirit of truth, one who will speak truth, just as Jesus spoke truth and was the truth. But the difference is that unlike Jesus, with whom they had fellowship and a relationship together, they will have that experience of fellowship and relationship, but on a more intimate level. Because Jesus says in verse 17, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit's coming is better than having Jesus by your side because he's going to live within you. Now, what other religion makes that claim? What other religion will teach you that God, who is far away, distant and outside of the universe, actually will come in personally into your life? God has already descended into the world in Jesus. He's died upon a cross, but now he wants to live right within the hearts of those who believe. What a privilege it is for Christians to know the Holy Spirit 
God within us. Or secondly, the Holy Spirit deepens the fellowship, the relationship with Jesus. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands keeps them, and is, and is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jump down to verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. The Lord Jesus is leaving to go to the Father via the cross. The cross is where he deals with sin and death, defeating them both. Jesus rises from the dead and is alive. And so he brings life to everyone who believes. To obey Jesus' commands here is not that we follow a list of rules to earn God's love. But whenever you read commands in John, in his writings, in his gospel, he's talking about something greater. The commands, the teachings, everything about Jesus. It's who he is, is what he's done. It's to follow his commands, is to believe in him. It's to accept this stuff as true by faith. So Jesus isn't teaching us how to become a Christian, but he's stating the reality of what it means to be a Christian. It's having faith in him. It's obeying him. And when we do that, then the Lord is, comes to us. Through Jesus' life-giving power, there is realization. There's understanding of who he is. There's understanding of this wonderful unity and union that we have with the Father and with the Son. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. A wonderful union that we share with the Father and the Son. And the Father and Son come to live within us by the Spirit. And so we have a deeper relationship then with God in that personal way. So for you, if you are a Christian this morning, what difference does the Holy Spirit make for you in your life? It means that you have the presence of God, Father, Son, and Spirit in you. It means that you know him and you can experience him and you bear witness to him. And that's something that the world doesn't have. The world doesn't see him and doesn't know him. The world doesn't want to see him, doesn't want to know him. The world has rejected Jesus. Jesus reveals himself only to those who want the Father comes intimately only to those who have acted and responded in faith and have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. And so, friends, as you wake up in the morning and as you open up your curtains, whether it's sunny or whether it's raining, you can say, God lives in me. As we walk down the street, as we do our duties at work, as we potter around the house, we are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's who we are. It's our identity. We are part of the family of God. And so as we struggle with sin and temptation, as we suffer illness and hardship, as we struggle with identity and meaning of who we are and what we're about, we can be comforted 
knowing that God is in us, that his presence, his care, his help is there with us. The Holy Spirit continues the presence of Jesus. He deepens their relationship with Jesus. Thirdly, he speaks the words of Jesus. We've mentioned already that the Holy Spirit will be an advocate, helping and strengthening the Christians. The Holy Spirit has other roles that he does within the Christian, within the church, within the world, and we'll look at them in the weeks to come. But here in this passage, Jesus shows us something really important to have a think about this morning. You can imagine that naturally one of the concerns and fears that the disciples have because Jesus is going is that how on earth will they remember all that Jesus has said? How will they understand all that Jesus has said? Because we know that they don't get it at the moment. How will we, who weren't even there, how will we, who have never seen Jesus, know what he really said? How will we know that it's true and that it's real? Well, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and speak the words of Jesus. Look down again at 20, verse 24, the second sentence. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken whilst with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus has said often in the Gospel that everything he does, everything he says, is only because of the Father's will. He comes from the Father. He only does what the Father commands. And so he can be trusted because his source is from God. And so for the help for the disciples as they go on and live for him, the Holy Spirit will come to teach them all things. The Holy Spirit's job is to help them get it, to help them understand, to fill all the pieces together, to grasp the fullness of Jesus' revelation to them so they can go out and live it and proclaim it. But for us, too, we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand Jesus. John is a fascinating writer, but he is hard to understand. There's so much he's said, even just in this passage, and we're only skimming the surface this morning. And boy, I've needed the Holy Spirit this week to just begin to understand what on earth Jesus is going on about here. We need him. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians that spiritual things, spiritual matters are only understood, are only discerned by the Holy Spirit. And so for the world, these things don't make sense. These things are not understood because they're only spiritually discerned. And so the disciples and us, we need the Holy Spirit to grasp and understand Jesus. But secondly, the Holy Spirit's role is to remind the disciples of everything that Jesus has said. Because there's so much that he has said and done, and their danger is that they'll forget it. Or they'll misremember things. They'll miscommunicate. They'll say things that Jesus didn't say. But the Holy Spirit's role is to speak the words that Jesus has spoken. And so that's a great comfort for them. As they're sent out into the world, they know that when they speak, the Holy Spirit will remind them of what Jesus has said. As they go, he goes with them. 
Think about the book of Acts. Think about Peter's sermon in Acts 2. Think about the wonderful detail and clarity of all that he says. Compare the Peter then with the Peter now, who's weak and afraid and is about to deny Jesus. But then a Peter that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that speaks so wonderfully and eloquently, confidently, full of understanding, knowing truly and fully the implications of Jesus' death and his resurrection, and is able to proclaim and call people to come and be saved. Now, what is that if it's not the Holy Spirit at work within the life of the disciple, enlightening him, teaching him, reminding him of what Jesus has said? And the wonderful thing for us, the wonderful privilege for us, is that as the Holy Spirit reminds the disciples, the disciples write down the words of Jesus so that we and future generations can read Jesus' words and we too can bear witness to him as we read it. It would have been amazing to have been with Jesus and to have seen him and to have heard him. But yet even 2,000 years later, we still can't bear witness to the words of Jesus and to his actions because we have them written down. And so we can believe the Bible, we can trust the Bible, we can obey the Bible because everything that is written down is the eyewitness account. It's been inspired by the Spirit. The world will tell you you can't believe the Bible and it's not trustworthy, it's not reliable, it's not accurate. They'll question the Bible because of what's written, they don't like what's written. They'll question it because, from their point of view, things that are written there don't make sense. They're not they're impossible. But as you read the Bible with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can see that it's, it's more than a book written by a human author. It's inspired. The events of history have been reminded to the writers, and they've written down. And we can read it, and we can see that it's such a wonderful masterpiece, a work of art that's real and true and consistent and makes sense. And it comes alive to us. Friends, so much of history and so much of the church today have not have, do not have the privilege as we do, as you do, having the word of God in our hands. That's a wonderful privilege that we get to enjoy. But how little do we take advantage of it? How little do we read the words of Jesus? How little do we take the time to study it and to delve into the detail and to understand it? It's a privilege we have, and so we should take advantage of it. So the Holy Spirit continues the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit deepens our relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks the words of Jesus. And finally, the Holy Spirit brings the peace. Jesus. Jesus has said to his disciples in verse 1 of chapter 14, and again in verse 27, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. He says again in verse 27, peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Peace can be defined in, in two ways, can't it? You've got the peace of kind of this Desert island sort of peace, a calmness, a stillness, an assurance, a rest, a, a steady confidence sort of peace. And that's the kind of peace that these disciples need right now. They're afraid, they're concerned, they don't know what's going on. 
They're troubled. They need that peace. And Jesus promises to give them that peace. But yet we know that that peace is only possible because of another peace. A peace with God. A peace from war. A peace from the wrath and the enmity that exists naturally between the world and between God. A peace that has wonderfully been achieved at the cross. The cross where Jesus fights the war, where he defeats sin and Satan, where he wins the victory for us and gives peace. Let's read from verse 28. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus is about to go to the Father via the cross, and Jesus tells his disciples that they should be glad that Jesus is going to the Father there are a number of reasons for this, but Jesus says here that because the Father is greater than I. Now, he's not saying that the Father is greater in the sense that he's God and Jesus is not God, but that because of Jesus' humble, incarnate, human state, the Father is greater than him in glory. Because in heaven, the Father is glorious, just as Jesus once was. And now Jesus is going to return to Again, have that wonderful glory of heaven. While Jesus was on earth, his glory was veiled. He still had it, but he was veiled. But now Jesus is going to return to be exalted in all his glory. We read in Philippians 2 of how when he was exalted, he was given that name above every other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But yet Jesus decided to veil his glory, to humble himself, to come and live on earth, to die upon the cross, a humiliating death, to fulfill his purpose of saving people for himself. That is how he shows his love, his love for the Father and his love for us. His love for the Father because he was willing to obey, to go fully to the cross for us. And Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to accomplish that, that mission that he came for in the first place. And the fact that he's going to send the Holy Spirit means that that task, that mission is being complete. Peace has come. Peace is provided. A personal, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father is there available. Jesus has won the war. He's defeated Satan. Satan, who in verse 30 we see has no hold on Jesus. Jesus has nothing that he can be accused of. He is the eternal son of God, so Satan cannot touch him. But Jesus has won the victory. He's revealed the Father to all those who will accept him. Jesus has told the disciples all these things because they're about to experience chaos and things going wrong and Jesus is about to die and he tells them and he prepares them all for all these things so that when they do happen 
he will, they will know and they will believe and they will trust in him. The disciples are about to be left by Jesus. They're about to be sent out into the world. But they've been encouraged as they heard Jesus say that he's going to still be with them. His presence will be there. Actually, by sending the Holy Spirit, they'll have a deeper relationship with him. That Jesus' words will continue to be on their lips because the Spirit will remind them of all that he has said. And therefore, they can be at peace. They can have confidence in him. And so, friends, do you experience peace with God? And do you experience peace from God? Do you experience the peace with God because of your trust in Jesus Christ? Because you trusted in him to take away your sin? You've given your life to him and he has come to you? Do you know the presence of God in your life by the Holy Spirit? Does that give you peace? Does it give you a calmness? Does it give you a rest? Does it give you a security? Does it give you a confidence? Does it give you a peace that no matter what happens in your life, whatever you face tomorrow, does it give you a peace that actually is okay? Because the Holy Spirit lives within me and he goes before me. His words are on my lips and he reminds me through the Bible and he gives me peace. Do you experience that peace? The peace that Jesus gives is not like the world. I do not give you peace like the world gives, Jesus says. For the peace of the world is transient, it's weak. It's material, it's fleeting, and it is not peace from the wrath of God. If you're not a Christian this morning, that's where you stand before him, under his wrath. You do not know God, you do not have his peace, but yet Jesus welcomes you, Jesus offers you that peace. He offers you life because he lives, you can live in him. Not by obeying rules, but by trusting in who he is and what he has done for you upon the cross. And when you do that, he'll come to you. The Father and the Son will come and make their home in you by the Holy Spirit. So put your faith and your trust in him. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Because we cannot see God, we do know him for he lives in us. He has a relationship with us. He speaks to us, and he gives us peace. Friends, your life is greater than any celebrity family, being their spouse or being their child or even being that celebrity themselves, for you have God in you. Let's pray. As we began, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can know you, that we can be in relationship with you, that you live within us by your spirit, that you speak to us, reminding us of your words through the Bible, 
that as we head out into the world to live lives for you, you go with us. And we are so thankful. And I pray that as we continue to think about these things and meditate on these things, that the reality, the truth of having you in our lives will become more and more real to us. Give us a greater and a deeper understanding of what these things mean. And show us more and more the consequences of having you in our life, knowing you day by day. May we know real deep peace, real deep joy, real deep love, because you are with us. And Heavenly Father, if there be anyone here who does not know you in that personal, intimate way, keep speaking to them. Keep knocking upon the door of their hearts. Send your spirit into their life that they may see you, that they may welcome you forevermore. Amen. We're going to respond in song.